Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, church. How are you feeling? Okay, that's not going to work. I'm just telling y'all, if this is the energy you're going to give me, I'm just saying... <laughs> I want to welcome you on behalf of this incredible team. Pastor Doug and Camden are on their last kind of couple hours of vacation. Don't you hate that feeling? <laughs> you know you got to get in the car and pack things up and get the kids back, and it's all waiting for you when you get home. Anyways, we cannot wait to have them back here. It's going to be an incredible week. Uh, it, now, if you were with us for the last several weeks, uh, I just want to stop for a moment. Uh, we try every week to kind of give you a snapshot of some of the message points so that if, if, you know, to be encouraged throughout the week. And we tried hard. Pastor Alex stood up. He does all of our video editing. And it was tough because if you missed last week, I'm just telling you, you need to go back to cfachurch.com and check out the whole message in its entirety. Pastor Stephen delivered a phenomenal word. It was absolutely inspiring and I believe prophetic. <laughs> prophetic for the season God's calling us into. So please make sure you spend some time and check that out. Um, and next week, Pastor Doug will be back, but it's my turn to preach, and I'm excited. Look at your neighbor and say, he's excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited because to be perfectly honest with you, I've been preparing this message for a couple weeks now. Again, if you've been part of our family for a while, you know we just finished celebrating 60 years of ministry. Yeah, it's impressive. There was a lot that went into that, uh, the story department, the team I'm a part of, we just spent countless hours going through boxes worth of old CFA church stuff, pictures, videos, I mean, everything, newspaper clippings. I was in the library looking at microfilm. It was incredible. Got a chance to talk to Pastor Tom, to, to sit down and hear some of the stories of our seasoned saints that have been here since the beginning. It's incredible to see God's hand narrating this story all the way through and when we were done, after this incredible season, uh, I remember driving home that Sunday uh, after service, and in the car, the Spirit began to stir my heart a little bit, and the Lord kind of posed this question to me. You know, in 60 years from now, there's going to be another guy telling the story. I mean, I'd be about 100. I don't know if that's the best person to tell the story at that point. Uh, in the way life expectancies are rising, I might be here still, but... Um, there's someone else going to be telling the story. And the Lord began to prompt me asking, what, what story will they be telling of your season? What story will they be telling of your season? Because to be honest, by then, we'll be 120 years old as a church. And I've been in some churches that are over 100 years old. Matter of fact, um, one of our first missions trips we ever took as, uh, in ministry was one to Mexico. My wife and I, along with Pastor Joe, we... We, we took a, a handful of students. We saw over 6,000 kids in about 14 days. It was incredible. Hundreds of kids gave their lives to the Lord. And our missionaries on the ground, Mike and Mona Shields, who were, who were working with us, they decided that in our off time, what we needed to do was see these old cathedrals, which, of course, the kids were excited about. But quite honestly, I love, I love seeing some of this, this old, these old cathedrals. And if you've ever been to Mexico, you know Mexican culture is steeped in Catholicism. So you're talking about churches that have been around for hundreds of years. And normally in these communities, they're the center of the community. 
And I always love that picture because what it shows is at one time there was a vibrant church full of life and that this whole city was built around the church. It's almost as if the church was the heartbeat and everything was kind of revolving around what God was doing in the community of believers. I love that picture. So I would walk in with my camera and, 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 and my backpack on and you walk through these lobbies. And I love these lobbies because when you looked up in many of them, what you would find is old wheelchairs and old crutches made out of wood. The sign of how God moved powerfully at one time in this church. And yet, as you walk through the lobby, your eyes are always drawn up because the roofs and the ceilings were so incredible. A lot of them done by the painting of, uh, of famous Mexican artists or, or encrusted in gold and jewelry. And one in particular I walked into, I remember almost tripping on one of these. It was just like, stanchion with a red velvet rope and I remember stopping in that moment and being reminded that we are no longer stepping into a church we're now stepping into a museum see the design of these ropes are to move a crowd of people from one artifact to another and it kept you close to what was behind the gate but not close enough that you can touch the objective was really to move people as quickly as possible and a lot of them have these boxes where you put in love offerings because there's no longer a church there to financially leave that building viable. The church has since left. And it's almost as if the walls were screaming to me in that moment. Come see what God did before the church grew silent and moved on. Listen, if we're going to be a, a, a community worth talking about. If we're going to make an impact in our community 60 years from now, we must commit to being a movement and never a museum. So I, I started praying, and, 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 and the Lord kind of brought me to this passage in Scripture where Jesus actually uses the word church for the first time. If you move with me to, to Matthew chapter 16, Verse 13 through 19, it reads like this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, son of the living God. I love Peter's character in scripture because he is riddled with character flaws. Peter's that guy that, that once in a while he gets it right and you're like, yeah. And then when you expect him to get it right, he doesn't. It gives me hope. But here in this moment, Peter makes this incredible declaration. We'll get back to that in a moment. He says, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whether you bind in earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I don't even got to preach that. Y'all should get excited already. It's incredible truth. If we're going to remain a movement and not a museum, we must continue as a community to first and foremost be founded on the gospel. Yes. 
be founded on the gospel. It says it again, verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Now to fully grab a hold of this passage, you got to back up again to verse 15. They asked, who do you say I am? And Peter's answer was, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. It's upon this profession that God looks to the heart of Peter and says, on that. Now I love Peter. I think Peter's a great character in Scripture. I think he's a phenomenal, just a picture of the heritage of our faith. But to say that God was building his church on Peter would be a misunderstanding of this passage. What Jesus is saying in this passage is what Peter said would be the critical foundation of the church. That Peter's declaration is Jesus as Messiah is the foundation by which a church that wages war against the gates of hell would be built. And as he paints this picture, what he's saying is at the core of who we are, it should be Jesus, only Jesus. Someone needs to get excited in this room. Jesus and only Jesus. Can I communicate to anyone in this room that's 20 and under? We're sending you to a generation that we don't know, that we've never seen, and we won't be in. If you're a part of the community that we call the Church Universal, I beg you to be weary of replacing the foundation of Jesus with anything else. We have walked through seasons where churches decided that politics, that these pulpits become political platforms. We have walked through seasons where, where churches have decided these pulpits become social, uh, uh, become a social expression. And what I'm going to tell you, there's nothing wrong with some of that stuff. But at the core of who we are, the answer has to be Jesus, only Jesus. We can't so fall in love with ourselves that it becomes about what God's doing in us and not about God himself. It's about Jesus. And only Jesus. The moment we stop, we might as well start wrapping up the doors and putting a ticket booth out there and charging admission. Jesus and only Jesus. And then the, the reason that's so critical is because in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, Timothy, the, the book begins to explain a little bit about the generation we're sending you into. It says this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, wrath, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God in verse 5, having a form of godliness and denying its power. You know what's crazy? Often we read that passage and we think we're defining the world. But if they had a form of godliness, it's because they've come in contact at one point or another with a relationship with Jesus and denied its power. I think he's defining the church. That substituting. That substituting of the core of the gospel of who we are and what God has done for us. That substituting creates a church that's no longer effective and slowly but surely we move from movement to a museum. It's not enough that he's the foundation, but he also has to be the builder. If we're going to remain a, com a, a community that, that stays a movement and not a museum, we have to be a community that's dedicated to be built by the hands of Jesus. Built by the hands of Jesus. Matter of fact, again, the same passage, verse 18. Now I say this to you, Peter, which means rock upon this rock. I will build my church. He will build his church. Can I prophesy to you for a moment? I'm about to make a statement, and you're going to want to put a name of a person or a church in that statement. And if you do, my prophetic kind of, you know, word to you is going to be you will miss the whole truth to this message. Y'all ready? 
Can you control yourselves? You ready? Here's the statement. We have a lot of churches that are being built by people. Now, the reason why I warn you is because it's not the churches you might think of. It's tough to know these churches. To be honest, what you need to do is get close to the people that God is using to build those churches to really have, to make, to make an educated opinion. And every time I get close to some of the people that you probably want to put in that sentence, what I find is men and women of God who have just figured it out and they're waging war in our city to make sure that everybody who doesn't know Jesus knows Jesus and you're just a little upset because they're bigger than you. But hear my heart. We have fallen in love with celebrity faith where we're more concerned about how many people are following us on our social media sites than we are about the condition of our city. A church that's built by the hand of God. The reason why this is so important is because when we build our own churches, the problem is that it requires our own energy and effort to keep that church alive. And there's some people who honestly can build really big churches on their own effort and energy, but then they're always limited. They're limited by their own resources. They're limited by their own abilities. They're limited by their own failures. They're limited by their own uh, age. And we find older communities of believers that slowly but surely just eventually fade away, leaving a carnage behind them of family and broken promises because the church instead of being built by the hand of God, is built by a man. And when that man leaves or those people leave, the thing seems to implode. It is our job as a church that we would build a type of church that unleashes the power of God into the next generation. And if it's all about us, it's not about him. I've never seen a better picture of this than our own church. Sitting on the third row, barring health issues almost every week. Tom and Betty Whitten, our founding pastors, who are the biggest cheerleaders I have ever seen. We were here a couple weeks ago for the Travis Green concert. And I'm just going to tell you, we're a little bit different than what Tom and Betty remember as, you know, their church. I saw the pictures. All these curtains were gold. They had a, a pseudo choir stadium on the back. Some of y'all remember that. You know, quartet singing these, these really intricate and complicated songs. Men in like cummerbunds and tuxes, I don't know, angels flying, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they come from a different time. And yet I remember somebody, I watched as somebody try to hand Pastor Thomas uh, some earplugs. He's like, no, I don't need ear, earplugs. He's standing with his arms raised, worshiping God regardless if it's for him because he understands that I'm sending these people to a generation I will not see. And when the church is built through the hand of God, we're always ready for the next generation. What a beautiful picture. So the practical to this, you're like, well, Pastor John, I'm not a pastor. Like, the practical to this is, is in your everyday ministry. Like to the people you're ministering to in your neighborhood, the people you're ministering at your work. I, there's a statement that we are asking all of our groups leaders, a question that I've been asking all of our family life uh, people for, for years now. Who's next? Who's next? Who are you handing over what God is doing? Who are you entrusting to the next season? Like, John, I, I'm young. I'm like, there's not a next. Like, I, I got years still. No, no. As God continues to expand your influence, you're going to need people around you. Who's next? Who's next? And then, and then the next thing, if you're kind of following in us, if we're remaining a movement and not a museum, we must continue to be a community that knows who 
and how to fight. It knows who and how to fight. Um, verse 18, B. And the, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I call this the Pastor Rick verse. Um, if, if you know Dr. Rick Ross, uh, been a part of his teaching, like I highlighted this because several years ago he did a study uh, and, and this, this passage came up and, and he messed up the way that I think. He made this, he made this statement, offered this question to us. He said, when was the last time you ever saw gates move? Uh, I'm like, well, you know, mine are all, all rickety and I'm still doing some work on them. So when the wind blows, they move a little bit. But quite honestly, they're going to be in the same place that they were yesterday. I just got to watch. I mean, they're there. They're, they're stable. So then if he's building a church that the gates of hell will not prevail from, it's because the church is moving in offense against the gates of hell. You see how that changes the philosophy a little bit? We've grown into a very defensive mindset of a church where the objective of a church is to come back and just to make sure you're still saved, I'm still saved, we're back here, we're saved, amen, hallelujah. This service is going to really make me feel good, energize me so that I can make it to Wednesday where I'm going to, again, meet with the same people to check if everybody's saved, that somehow collectively the objective of the faith is just to make sure that your seat's still there. Matter of fact, um... Several years ago, Jess and I were visiting um, uh, uh, some beautiful city in, in South Carolina. And again, because I like old churches, we went and visited this church. Um, beautiful church, historic in nature. This is a church that Ben Franklin uh, had visited a couple times. Uh, that's kind of their claim to fame. And we got a tour from a tour guide who used to be a priest. And um, he began to explain to me, because I've seen a ton of churches, this is the first one that I've seen that actually has doors on the pews. You kind of see that? And the doors all have numbers. And I'm like, this church is just full of a bunch of box seats. <laughs> right? And he began to explain that this is how this works. When you first come to the church, you sit in the back. But the more money you give... As you kind of climb the social status, slowly but surely they move you to the front of the church. And the objective is that one day your kids would be so in love with God that they'll take your box and continue to pay. And can I tell you, if that's the picture you have of who we're called to be, you're missing it. Your kids will not come and fill your pews. Here's the problem. They have comfortable seats at home and they can watch the game. So what we've created is a faith that says, come and hide with me instead of come and fight with me. And there is a battle waging and there is a war to fight. The picture of the gates of hell are incredible because what it says is there's a boundary that's keeping people back from experience God and he's equipped us as a church to kick those gates open and bring them home. Don't get it confused. There's not anything else we're about but bringing the lost home. The book of Jude, one of my favorite books because it's really short. Verse 20 reads like this, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in the most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and wait for the mercy of the Lord Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. Verse 22, you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. 
rescue others by snatching them from the flame of judgment. Why I love this passage so much, that actual word snatching is harpezio in, in the original language. And in the original language, what it actually means is to take by force. I know we have this picture of like growing people and, and kind of pruning and grandma like pruning and like I, I understand the theological context and yet I read Jude and what I read is, is a church that's kicking down the gates of hell and saying in my city I will do everything and anything to remove the obstacles between them and him at any cost. John, that sounds like a lot of responsibility. And you know what I hate? I hate when someone gives me a ton of responsibility and no authority to do it. Yeah. Isn't that the worst? Some of y'all got that in your jobs. Hey, I need you to clean up this department. Did you tell the department that I'm supposed to clean it up? <laughs> Some of you experienced that at home. Increased responsibility but no authority. But what I love about this passage is that Jesus not only declares what it is we're going to do, he tells us how we're going to do it. Go ahead, just... Flip down there a little bit. You can read it with me. It, sa it says this, verse 19. I will give you the kings, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What? <laughs> Do you remember several weeks ago, Pastor Doug talking about keys out of the book of Daniel? That he, talk, he talked about authority. Just for a moment, I'm going to mess you up a little bit. He, he goes on to say this, whatever you bind in earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If we're going to be a, continue, a, a movement that continues to be a movement and not a museum, we have to be a community that takes our rightful place of authority. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.